0: All right, let's get busy. We've got ourselves a panel, and uh, they're all locked and loaded, ready to go. Well, locked. I don't know about loaded, but uh, I do have
1: have my suspicions. Uh, Not that much cash around this table. Joining
0: us in the studio, Dan Moulton, consultant at Crestview Strategy. That's a public affairs agency. He's also a former advisor in the McGinty and Wynn governments. Dan, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing very well, John. How about you?
0: Likewise, thanks. Peter Tabbins, the NDP MPP for Toronto Danforth and the NDP's energy and climate change critic. Peter, good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon, John. Always a pleasure to thank see
0: you. Thank you. Likewise. And uh, Anthony Fury, Sun Post media columnist and national comment editor. How's Anthony? On top of the world, John. All right. <laughs> top of the heap. Top of the. Oh, listen, Anthony, I want to uh, say thank you for uh, alerting me to a story you posted in the Post earlier today. Where it says here is the first uh, opening salvo, the federal government's actively considering gifting the Trans Mountain Pipeline to First Nations groups. What's this all about?
3: Yeah, this is something we heard about from some sources in the sector and also confirmed by some pretty senior uh, liberal government sources speaking speaking, uh, anonymously about this issue. And a First Nations chief that we spoke to who also confirmed, yeah, we're talking to them about it. Basic idea, give us the pipeline hand it over. Now, it would probably be done in a trust, we were told, meaning it'll go and, you know, they won't actually have control over it. They won't be able to sell it to China or whatnot. It'll still be there in that trust, and they will get the revenues exclusively, perhaps, for their own use, or or some division of it. This is not a a done deal, and there are no details worked out, and it may not even happen, John, but this is one of the things that's on the table, Uh, but this is news to us and to most Canadians.
0: right. Uh, now, does that make sense? I mean, or is this a cop-out on the part of the liberals or just a a creative way of divesting uh, an asset that we are all sort of paying for, $4.5 billion, how do you see it?
3: Well, John, one of the big hurdles with the Supreme Court has been the First Nations consultations. And I think the challenge is the duty to consult is still a vague term, mm-hmm. and there will still be... They're, they're redoing these consultations with 117 First Nations. Well, the the 43 of them, or whatever the number is, who have signed deals already, they're going to say we're okay with it. There's probably a middle who, I guess, maybe you can consult more correctly with, and they will be on board. But there's always going to be a handful ideologically opposed. Emergeet, so he said today, I want to make it clear... This does not mean veto power, but I don't know. You do this consultation, five of them say we weren't adequately consulted. That looks like veto power to me, so this might be a way to circumvent that. It's almost the government maybe throwing up their hands and going, "We, we this is maybe the only way we can get it done. Just give it to them, and then they'll cave, and they'll say, well, we'll accept it if, if you give it
0: to us. All right. Amarjeet Sohi, by the way, is the infrastructure minister. Dan, I mean, I know you're hearing this first blush, but uh, does it sound like, uh, you know, some inspired moment from the Trudeau Liberals.
2: Well, I think it's certainly an option that they're considering. There's, there's no question about that. It, obviously, it's been uh, put out there today as something that that deserves uh, deserves a uh, you know a, a, a think uh, a, from the government and an, and an approach that sort of engages, I think, broadly on you know is this the right approach? Look, uh, whether or not uh, this is something we consider you know vastly new in this country, this is something that in principle has been happening for some time. We we certainly see governments. Uh, coast to coast looking at equity arrangements or equity sharing relationships, both governments and corporations with First Nations communities, in particular on resource development projects. So this is something that's already happening. Sole ownership or the, the government giving uh, this opportunity to the First Nations is, a, is is different. I think they'd obviously have to consider the investment the government of Canada's already made in acquiring this pipeline um, and how that might be recovered. Uh, but you know, at the outset, at first blush, as you say, this seems like not a bad idea and certainly worth further debate.
0: I'm curious, Tavins, because, I mean, uh, you know, you're always uh, pumping up public ownership. Uh, does this sort of quasi-qualify as such, or uh, how do you see this?
1: Well, th- this is a, a real weird one, and I, I would say to these First Nations, beware of liberals bearing gifts, because uh, I think <laughs> there's a potential here for very substantial liability. Let's face it, there's talk about building a new pipeline, but there's an old pipeline that, is showing its age. And will this mean that First Nations will be on the hook for liability for replacing stretches of the pipeline in future, dealing with the liability costs of spills? Uh, that's a substantial question. And the other one that occurs to me is the business case going forward. Setting aside the environmental issues for a moment, and they're dear to my heart. Economically, I'm not sure there's really going to be a big market for the product going through this pipeline. Uh, if there was a big market now in Asia for heavy uh, crude from on from Alberta uh, for refining, they would be selling some, but they're not. They're selling almost everything to the United States where they have refineries that deal with this kind of heavy crude. So I'm not sure... But they're not that
0: getting the, at the tidewater. That's part of the problem.
1: That's an uh, impediment. Occurs. Yes, but... You already have that stuff going to Tidewater from Alberta. Where? Through the existing Trans Mountain. This is twinning the Trans Mountain, right? That's There's right. already a pipeline there. Yeah, so, so where's
0: the problem in then just uh, mirroring the, the existing pipeline? I don't get it. Well, I think you double the potential for leaks.
1: You double the... Well, how many poten- leaks have there been with the original pipeline? Um, I honestly don't know that, but I can the The answer's none. Uh, do you know that, John? <laughs> I have a, on pretty good authority. Well... Let's check and find out and come back next week. But I think the other reality <laughs> that is a lot safer
2: than by rail though. I mean like there are a lot more dangerous options I, than getting a pipeline to But pipe the, water. the
1: problem A there's not apparently a market for this stuff anyway outside of the United States. That's where it's being sold. And B, if we're actually gonna meet our climate goals, we're gonna have to wind down, ramp down our production of oil and and uh, petroleum products. And this this line, I don't think has a future. Even if you would ignore all the environmental issues, it doesn't have a future.
0: Anthony,
3: uh, John, the National Energy Board put about 120 conditions on the project, and those are things about about refurbishing different parts of the line. and, and First Nations uh, communities actually they have much more experience dealing with currently oil and gas sector anyway than just you know a regular small business would in in, in you know Ontario or Quebec or. or or other provinces, and they have extensive experience with logging operations and so forth. So I I think they are quite more familiar with this sort of landscape than... Than others would be to the idea that there's not market. I mean, one of the reasons why LNG is going to be such a good project that, that, that they've just put forward is it takes something like nine days uh, to ship things from British Columbia to those Asian markets, whereas it takes something like 22 days to get it uh, from the Middle Eastern countries over to the Asian markets. So that that alone shows, yeah, if you feel there's capacity because they want to be able to buy in volume here, we're going to be able to open this stuff up. I think Dan made the integral point about, uh, about this story here, whether or not it, it should go ahead or not. If they can write some Something in the deal such that the taxpayer can recoup the $4.5 million then there you go. The whole purchase is a bit null and void, and, and maybe everybody uh, can walk away happy. But if you don't recoup that money, people are going to feel, uh, the taxpayers is going to feel like they were scammed.
0: You know, this point about dealing with China, too, it raises the specter of making a trade deal with China, which came up in this mm-hmm. successor to NAFTA. Apparently, there's a Clause 32 that uh, really went unnoticed until recently, and we were talking about it yesterday. Uh, it seems that the United States has... Uh, taken it upon themselves, I guess, to uh, make sure they're going to be the ones overseeing if there's any deal Canada would want to make with uh, a non-market economy, which means anybody that doesn't uh, operate based on free market principles, and that would be China and Vietnam. Now, uh, we've already nixed anything with Vietnam, so I guess... uh, Have we? Well, no, my apologies. We're we're dealing with them in the TPP, such as it's been configured, Uh, but China's a separate entity, and the United States would sort of have the power to scrutinize the deal and perhaps veto it. They'd need to be given three months advance notice and uh, may actually present a problem, a deterrent to that. I mean, isn't this ceding our sovereignty over to the United States in this deal? Hmm.
2: That's an interesting question. I I would say that, you know, there's obviously a, a concern here about uh, goods being wheeled through a free trade agreement into a larger market, right? So Trump's obviously thrown up all these massive tariffs on Chinese goods. I think he did another $20 billion in tariffs last week. Uh, these are enormous. He is, uh, as Steve Bannon put it in a recent interview, waging an economic war against China. That's the that's the goal of this administration. The architect of the of the whole thing is calling it an economic war. So they're obviously concerned about the Chinese and Canada signing some sort of free trade agreement where goods could be wheeled through our country into theirs. Uh whether or not, I don't think it's a, a question of ceding sovereignty. I think when you enter into this arrangement, you always have to sort of accept that we're going to be partners to an ac- certain extent, economic partners. And, you know, th- they've obviously included a requirement for uh, a notice of in- entering in negotiations. negotiation. Well, it
0: compromises our independence, doesn't it, Peter?
2: Well, you can exit it though, right? I mean, you're giving the option to exit the
1: agreement in the event of well, entering into some...
0: <laughs> okay. Do we really want to Bring that down upon our uh, economy, Peter. No, uh, of course not.
1: Well, even before we go there, John, there was an oil spill with uh, Trans Mountain in June, Uh, in 2016. It was reported there had been sixty nine oil spills from Trans Mountain. Who reported them? Uh, That was CBC. Oh, And the earlier one was reported by the Star. Uh Oh. Uh, Trans Mountain reported twelve spills in Burnaby since beginning of March. That was reported earlier Mm -hmm. this year. so the reality is, there have been spills from that pipeline. It is an aging line, and you can talk about this as much as you want. I think there's a huge potential for liability here, and if I was a First Nation, I wouldn't
0: touch this project. All right, or they would, and uh, if it's not viable, be they'll just give the it back. All right, uh, but on this the matter is, of the Chinese, a, uh, the Chinese trade chalice, deal, my okay. uh, the Chinese trade deal that might have to be vetted by the United States. Does that mean we've ceded our independence on trade? Well, I don't think we should have any of our trade deals
1: vetted by the United States.
0: Well, all right. So uh, it's a bad deal. Justin Trudeau and Christopher Freeland cobbled together, or at least they overlooked certain salient points that might come back to bite us in the you know what. They're not they gonna well.
3: be they're not gonna be vetting it. What it does, it gives them the option yeah. to walk out of the new NAFTA exactly. if they're unhappy with the deal that we've signed. And maybe they said, Okay, we'll give you this, but Trudeau said we're not gonna do a dodgy deal on that. So I don't care that you have that. Anyway, I get why Trump's doing it, because you know, Dan's right, the primary concern Trump has with NAFTA in Mexico anyway is that China's gonna use us to go in there. That's why we have a cap on the increase to our automotive uh, imports in case after the tariffs are brought in, with China, they somehow use us as a backdoor. I totally get all of that. And and, and I think Trudeau is, you know, he seems more ideologically le- leaning towards China. There's been concerns about Chinese billionaires being involved there and so forth. Him his dad went for a favorable tour. But I think he was right to nix the Acon deal. Stephen Harper was wrong to approve the CNAC-Nexon deal. Trudeau's the one who I'm told is going to do some Arctic sovereignty announcements in the months ahead. And he just announced a new cybersecurity strategy this week that will probably be about getting tough on China. So I, I'm concerned where his ideology is, but he actually seems to be getting the China file. He's he's balancing it right now.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that's encouraging to note. I mean, uh, staying on board with Trump as far as Trump uh, initiating this economic war with China. And he's also got some clause in there for what it's worth that uh, we can't manipulate our currency in order to give a- advantage to us in insofar as trade is concerned. <laughs> so uh, there's all these arcane details in this latest uh chapter of do you, do
2: you think it's a bad deal though John you said that you think it's a bad deal
0: well no it's not a bad deal because you understand when you've got uh the heft and the clout of the American economy I mean we've got to really uh you know tack with them because uh, otherwise we've got autos that were being endangered yeah and uh, I think they're gonna seed on uh the tariffs on steel and aluminum because you uh, the timing of the elections in the states as well you've got the people on the border states who are they're also going to feel the brunt of it you know the cost the consumer cost of cars is going to go up uh this is going to be impactful and it'll it'll get trump's attention so i mean at the end of the day you know as jerry diaz said here on this program yesterday uh he was clicking his heels. It saved a lot of auto jobs. Hmm. Sure did. Yeah, so I don't. I don't see it necessarily as a bad deal. But I mean, look, there are different components you can pick apart. Whether the marketing boards uh, needed to be dismantled, you know, they're still complaining that they got a raw deal and feel betrayed by Justin
3: Trudeau. I wouldn't have given him prescription drugs. I would have kept that off and given him more dairy.
0: Right. Open yeah, that up to I five heard and six. I find this from a few
2: people. The, the pharmaceutical one, I wonder about. The, the dairy thing. I mean, it's such a small percentage of the market that's now actually even open at all, right? I mean, I think it's yeah. nearly ten percent through the three trade agreements. What do they say? A
0: hundred thousand metric tons of uh, milk product that is now. Uh, going to come into that our That sounds
2: market. like a lot. I don't know what that looks like well, unless you show it to me. But. You, and
0: the other thing,
1: you know, <laughs> Many tank cars, many tank cars. Well, no. I,
0: I spoke to the guy from the uh, dairy producers of Canada yesterday, and he was suggesting that it's more about quality control and uh, the issue of... You know, what's in the product, the American product, perhaps, is not uh, screened for... No, uh,
1: that, and that's a real issue, because the Americans use bovine growth hormone.
0: Yeah, we
1: antibiotics. And, and, we and antibiotics. I think we use antibiotics in Ontario as well, but bovine growth hormone, something we looked at at the Toronto Board of Health back in the 90s, and it's a very worrisome product. Uh, it was a very good thing that here in Canada we didn't allow its use, and it does give us a higher quality milk.
0: Let's come back in a moment. I wanted to uh, pick up on something that Doug Ford has uh, intimated. He's going down the road of scrapping Bill 148. Uh, some people say it's an attack on the working poor, and uh, it's really about really uh, making it easier for the employer to exploit. Uh, we'll see what our panel has to say on that matter and more in moments. Dan Moulton, Anthony Fury, Peter Tabbins on The Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.